1: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: So these 1,400 people that were randomly selected were selected if they had not gone to church or synagogue or to a mosque in the last six months, they would not have been influenced by any recent information about God. And they were asked those questions. And here's what the statistics tell us from that survey. 72% of them said God is a higher or supreme being and actually exists. So 72% of those people believe that there is a God. He does exist. But then 48% says that there's the God, there's only one God, and that's the God that's described in the Bible. And that was 48%. But now the number jumps up again. The God of the Bible is no different from other gods or spiritual beings that are depicted in other world religions outside of the Bible. And that number went all the way back up to 61% of the people. So a lot of people believe in God. There are some that believe that the Bible says that this is the true God. But then there are a lot many more that believe that there are other gods beyond the only God that's found in Scripture. Now, those are real people from a real statistic. And I believe if we took this all over the world, these statistics might change a little bit, but not in its overwhelming amount. Which means that when you engage someone at work, or maybe someone at one of your luau's or parties, or maybe someone on a trip on an airline, you're going to find that when they start talking about God, they don't know who God really is. And often Satan then makes us feel that we don't have enough answers, so for political correctness, we want to just, uh, through tolerance, not engage them. But God wants us to engage, and one of our ways to really glorify the Lord is far more than just our music, it's to engage Him 24-7 wherever we are and who this God really is. So what I'd like to do, since I can't give you all there is about God, there's plenty of theology books out there. We have a library on the third floor now, and you have the Bible. I have selected some that I believe that you can easily use to help another person understand who God is. Well, when you engage about this, often the topic of the Trinity comes up. And so let's talk just a little bit about the Trinity. First of all, we know who God is. God is Trinity. And so if you want a simple explanation of Trinity, again, a man's explanation of it, it is simply this. There is one God who exists eternally in three persons, one in substance, yet three in substance. So they're one separately, but yet they're still together. Now, the word Trinity itself is not found in scripture. But the whole concept of Trinity is. The Trinity being that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God. They're all one. They all have ministries separate and yet together in substance and personhood. Now that being the case, let me kind of open it up through scripture. So the first I would like to show you is where God himself is claiming to be God and the one God. Follow along for just a moment in Deuteronomy. Now you want to mark this, you want to have this ready for you when people begin to ask you about the Trinity. So starting with Deuteronomy coming out of the New American, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and I put that in bold there. Now we could say something about the whole Hebrew language, that you have one, you have dual, you have plural. And here it's talking about the plural, which means that there's actually three here. When it says the Lord is one, that means that the Lord three is plural. God, three, plural, one. It goes back to say, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. So God is one. If you jump into the New Testament, it's not only Old Testament. You'll read in chapter eight, verse four, it says, we know that there is one God or no God, but one God. So you have a one God concept. So you have God as being one. Now let's talk for a moment about Jesus. So God claims to be one and God claims to be God. Now you're going to see where Jesus claims to be God. Now let me kind of frame this story for you for a moment. You know that Jesus was teaching all about himself and life and afterlife, etc. And while he was teaching, he then died, choosing to die, rose again from the dead as resurrection. But before he actually ascended to heaven, he gathered his disciples and he began to teach them a little bit more. But one disciple was missing from his little teaching time, his small group study. His name was Thomas. And so Thomas was kind of lamenting and saying, you know, in order for me to really believe this, I've got to touch his hands and his feet. I've got to see the scars and all of this stuff. Well, you know the Lord will always answer your question. If you really want to know God, He will reveal Himself to you. And so God knew that Thomas was not asking a flippant question. He really wanted to know if Jesus was God. And so in responding to that, Thomas was then nearby. And so the so the Lord then speaks to him. And you can follow along in John twenty twenty seven. And it says, then Jesus said to Thomas, "Go ahead, Tom. Reach your fingers here. Look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing." And notice the remarkable response of Thomas. And he answered and he said to him, Jesus, still speaking to Jesus, you, he says, my Lord and my God. Now, this is not an isolated verse where Jesus is claiming to be God. And I'm going to speak more about that next week when we talk about who Christ is. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ and his relation to God next week. But I want you to see, first of all, that God is one. He claims to be God. Jesus claims to be God. And now let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So let me frame how this situation occurred. Jesus Christ now has ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit is now present. We see things that are happening. And so now there was a particular need in the Christian community. And so what happened is a group of Christians came together on their own and decided to sell their resources, particularly land. And they decided to take the money that they made from the land and then give it to a group of Christians to disperse it to other Christians who had a need. Well, Ananias and Sapphira bought into that and says, that's what we should do. Unfortunately, though, for them, they decided not to give back all the money that they had sold, all all the money that they made from selling their land. But they would tell them that, that they did that. In other words, they kept back some, they lied to them. And so that's where the story comes as they're now standing there, particularly Ananias first and then later Sapphira. Let me read it to you. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So all of a sudden now, we are seeing that Ananias is lying to the Holy Spirit. He says, and you kept back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? And here's the phrase, you have not lied to man, but to God. So if you want to, in your Bible, you can draw a line between God and God. And to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit he is being lied to and God is being lied to. Therefore, you're lying to both of them at the same time because they are one. So you have the Holy Spirit being God and you have God being God. All right, then 2 Corinthians 13, 4 is a very neat verse because this verse now puts all three of the Godhead together in one Verse. Again, the word Trinity isn't there, but it's not doing injustice to this because of the fact that God claimed to be God, Jesus claimed to be God, the Holy Spirit was God, and it says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you, all three of them being with you in one, all three in one. Now let me pause for a moment. For some of you that would like to do this, this might be a great encouragement to you. As you're having your quiet time, whether you're using a devotional or reading through the Bible in a year plan, I want you to keep the idea of the Trinity in your mind. God, Father, God, Son, God, Holy Spirit. And as you read through a section of scripture, not a large section, just a few verses, you will often find that in the story or in the truth that's being revealed, you will find The Trinity mentioned, not the word Trinity, but the concept of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, all mentioned. So again, our God is one God. He's made up in three. Now. Let's go a little bit further in this. That's the Trinity, and again, there's a lot more we can be able to unpack about who God is. But I picked out some that I think will especially relate to all of us. So the first one is, is God is love. Most of you already know that, and that's probably the most foremost one that God really loves us, and my how much He does love us. Look in First Corinthians, First John, rather, chapter four, verse sixteen. It says, "And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love." Now, if you wanted to, you could underline the phrase, God is love. The reason I put that is that's the very nature of God. That's who he is. He is love. But the other part of his nature is he just doesn't exist as love. That love comes with a demonstration or it's demonstrative. And so with that love, he's now going to prove that love. And that's why the next verse is there found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And it said, but God demonstrates his own love. So he is love, but it's an active love based on his nature of love. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you can underline that. Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love. I read a story while I was preparing this message, and it was a story of a young girl. You might have even heard this story. And she had a blood disease, and they were trying to find an adequate donor that would be able to fit that situation. So they looked all around, and they couldn't find any donor that had the matching blood for her until they tested the brother. And found out that the blood that the brother had would be adequate to take care of the needs of the sister. So mom and dad set the little boy down and spoke to the son and said, you know, it'd be really a great thing if we could do a blood transfusion and we could use your blood to help your sister. Well, they gave the choice to the boy and I think that was a good thing because he was going to have to make a very serious decision. So he thought about it very gravely and then he made the decision and said, mom, dad, go ahead, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. So while he was in the hospital and the transfusion was going on and that simple little pint of blood was coming out of him, the little boy was just laying there waiting, you know, and waiting. And then finally he looked up to his mom and his dad and he asked, when, when am I going to die? You see, in this little boy's mind, he thought that a transfusion meant that he would have to give all of his blood to his sister and he would then die because she had his blood and he had no more blood. Now my simple point is this, is that in his own mind he was still willing... Early on to say, I'm willing to give up my blood. In a sense, I'm willing to actually die. Because he actually thought he was going to die. Well, that was a sacrifice back then that he was willing to make. The good news, he didn't have to die. But I'm telling you that the love of God is a love that's so much demonstrated to us. It's a lot more than just giving us little love kisses during the day. It's wrapped up in the person and the work of Christ. Another story I read was about the uh, USS Pueblo. Some of you will remember this as you're a little bit older. This happened many decades ago. But the Pueblo was hijacked by the North Koreans and they came on board this boat. There was 82 men on board this ship, 82 sailors on the Pueblo. And they took 13 of these men and they sit them around a table in a special room and they made these men sit up straight and rigid for hours. And then there would be a North Korean soldier that would come in, another sailor perhaps, would come in and begin to beat this one sailor, almost bloodied him to death, and then walked out of the room. The next day, he came in and beat this man with his gun. The next day, he did it again, and this man nearly died, bloodied and battered. Well, it just so happened on the fourth day that a young sailor then took this bloodied body and moved him over to another corner of the table, and he sat in that seat. The North Korean sailor came in and bashed him. The next day, a new man sat in that first seat, and another man, and they kept repeating that seat for days and weeks. Each man taking the blow that another man was supposedly to get. Well, I look about Jesus Christ and I look about you and me. That's very similar to the same story. All of us should have been beaten, but the Lord says, wait a second. I'm going to sit, not in the first chair, but I'm going to lay or stay upon a cross. And I'm going to let all the wrath of all the punishment that you and I deserve. He says, I'm going to take on myself because I don't deserve any of this, but because I really love you. Well, that's a demonstration of God's love. Now, next week when we talk a bit more about the Lord. How do we really see the Lord? How do we really see God? We see God truly through the Word, but often through His God Man, His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So He becomes a personification of God for us to be able to have a little bit more of a visual on it. So God is love. Number two, God is holy. Now I don't know what you think about the holiness of God, and I know this may be a little bit of a stretch for some of you, but I remember when we were younger, Mom and Dad would. Uh, have us periodically, when The Wizard of Oz come on television, we watch The Wizard of Oz. How many of you saw that movie in some measure? I don't know. You know Dorothy and all of that. We've all probably seen it. Well, as I got older, we were in a family gathering with our family. And uh, it wasn't our kids were there, but I think some of Carol's family were present. And it happened to be on television. It's almost like The Wonderful Life at Christmas. Wizard of Oz comes on. We always want to go watch it. It's very intriguing. It's got a neat ending and all of that. Well, I remember as we were watching that nearing the end, if you remember, there's the wizard and he's in this big room and it's dark in there and he booms out his voice. And when he does, all of a sudden, you're not expecting it if it's the first time you're watching it. There's these big shots of explosions of fire behind him as he speaks and he talks. And of course, you've got the Tin Man and Lion and, and the uh, Straw Man. And then, of course, you've got Dorothy and they're all trembling. What I thought was interesting is I was watching one of the kids that were in this group watching and as soon as that voice and the fire went out and the big thunder, he started to scooch up a little closer to his dad. Well, in a sense, I don't want to make God out to be a monster, but I don't want to minimize the fact that God is so holy that he cannot let anything that is not holy near him. And his holiness is the very reason that he deals with evil as he chooses to do. Look at the verse here. This is one of many verses on the holiness of God. And notice the response of the one who is experiencing this holiness of God. It says here in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, Holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, folks. We are, are so, as Christians, sometimes we, we are so insulated sometimes from the holiness of God because we enjoy His grace. We enjoy His mercy. We enjoy His forgiveness. We experience His love. And all of that is so very important. But sometimes it causes us to see His holiness as a story in the Bible, as a theological truth about who God is. But it doesn't impact, it doesn't hit us the way it should. And I really believe that sometimes we ought to maybe do a study on the true holiness of God and see Him as He is and how that evil is such, so, so much dealt with by God. Now the joy that we have is that we can approach this holy God because now He made us holy positionally when we trust in Christ and we do have that insulation. But it should still be the holiness of this great God that we have. So yes, He's a God of love, but He's also a God that's going to deal with unholiness, which causes me then to look at my life since God is holy and he has a significant um, belief about unholiness in my life, that I need to deal with that unholiness. I ought not to allow those thoughts to come in and park there. I ought not to allow myself to be put in a position where that I will be tempted and then be tempted and then follow through with it in a way that would dishonor him. And first of all, for me who knows Christ as Savior, although I have all my sins forgiven, I still will have to give an account to that Holy God of the things that I have done in my body. It will not determine whether or not I go to heaven. It will determine the kind of rewards I will get when I get up there because a Holy God through Christ will then judge me. And then for those of you who are outside the faith, you have yet to cross the line of placing your faith in Jesus Christ. However you want to manufacture who God is, you have that freedom to do that. We live in a country, you have that free will to do it. But it will not change the fact that God is holy. And you too, when you die, whatever you believe is your afterlife belief system, the Bible does say that you will stand before this judge and you will be judged. And when you do, it won't be judged to determine whether or not you go to heaven or to hell. It'll be judged to determine the amount of suffering you will get in hell. The punishment is far worse for those who have been shown the light, but have rejected the light. And that same holy God is there dealing with us. And it's through Christ that we're able to approach that holiness appropriately. And now we go to the third one, which would be God is just. This is probably one that is the hardest one for people to to understand and that God is a just God. We live in a world that says such things as, I won't tell you how to live, so you don't tell me how to live. Can we agree on that? And of course, uh, we can agree on that. God does tell us how to live and so what stands tall is God's justice. And I like what Romans 3.23 says here. It says, All have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That's part of His justice, that God is a just God. When you sin by nature and choice, then you're separated from Him now and forevermore. Now let me try for just a moment to um, balance this teaching about God out in His mercy and His justice for just a moment. There are some that still see God as being a cheery, cheerful santa claus and that with his grace love and mercy it's ho 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 against sin in fact i talked to someone just recently this last week who had gone to a church that on christmas um they had a santa claus and some churches do that i'm, I'm not going to go there how far are you going to go with santa and your kids i got an email this morning in my email box from someone on the mainland says what do you believe about the easter bunny and santa claus and something else uh what should you tell your children I'll be glad to tell you what I think about that, at, perhaps in another message. But right now, I would rather have my kids know the reality of who God is. But going back to this story, that on Christmas morning, they had Santa Claus come down the aisle, pass out candy to everybody, then walked up over here and says, just like Santa gives gifts, you ought to give gifts to Jesus. And so why don't you give your money? So he pulls his hat off, and he leaves his big beard and his big belly. And so Santa Claus then let everybody in prayer. Now, the one question I did ask through all of that, because I'm a little horrified, was, was that the pastor? who did that. And the good news, it wasn't the pastor. The bad news is, it was sending the wrong kind of signal. And some of us think, that that is exactly how God is, and that's how God treats sin. That's an invalid view of God. The other side of that, is for some people, and because they probably grew up in a home, where they had a very heavy taskmaster, a dominant mom or dad, or a person who reared them, who really showed a lot of anger, when they disciplined that person, probably was a a person, who was just an angry individual, very pushy and commanding, and so you're reared with that as a little child growing up with it, then really that person who is the authority figure becomes the, 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 the defining character of an authority figure in your life. So if that first person is in authority and has that personality, then they subconsciously think anybody who's in authority has that. So they have relational problems, but they also have a problem about who God is, because we all know that God is someone we answer to, so he is an authority figure. So now they think that God is a mean God, that God is an angry God, that God is just waiting and looking, that He gets more joy out of squashing us like a bug and bringing problems into our life and laughing about it when we stumble and we cry out. That is as equally invalid about who God is as a cheerful ho-ho-ho Santa looking at sin, that God is not a balance even of those two, that God does love us with a great and genuine love. He really loves us just the way we are. But at the same time, He is a God who is holy and He is just. That's why He sent His cross, his Son to the cross. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go there. Death is the only thing that pays for sin. That's why we have the verse there. And so someone had to die. If I died, I'd spend eternity paying for my sin if I didn't trust Christ. But He says, no, no, no. I'm going to take all your sin on myself. And so when He died, here's a big word, propitiation. He satisfied the justice of God where the justice of God said sin had to be paid for by a perfect sacrifice by the blood and Jesus didn't only die and expire. He died and he rose again to show you that he was God. He had victory over sin and Satan and death and that's who Christ was. And so that's the aspect of God. The God God's justice is shown in the fact that Jesus even went to the cross for you and me. But it also shows God's love at the same time. Perfectly balanced. The justice the holiness, and the love of God. Now, for some of us, for just a moment, I think we could see those are great characteristics. God is love, therefore I should love. And I can, in Christ, love others because God loves. I know that God is holy. I know that as a Christian, a believer in Christ, I can clean my life up. It would be nice if we had time today to have some of you give a testimony of how you once were and how you lived in sin, taking dope, robbing from people, lying to people, broken marital relationships, stuff you've done in white-collar crime on your job and with the IRS and a whole lot of other stuff that only you know about, let alone what's gone on in your mind. And yet you came to faith and God says, I forgive you and your life is different. You're more holy. You're more separated unto Him in a lifestyle because of what He's done today. Not to get saved, but because you are. There are people that are like that. So some of us can begin to become more... more holy than we were when we first trusted Christ. And as far as being just, some of us now have a biblical governor in our life. We now know what is right and wrong. And so with that justice, we make the right calls to say no to this and yes to that based on the justice that God has. We have some of that. But I'm about ready to go into some aspects about God that you need to know that He's beyond just love and holiness and justice that's essential for us to know that makes God not just the best person, in other words, the, the one that finally got love is God. The one that finally arrived at justice is God. The one that finally got the most holiness is God. No, 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 it's beyond all of that. He had to be beyond all of those characteristics, and we're going to show you what that is. Maybe an illustration might help you. Some of you know that, that for, for 15 years, Carol and I had a dog. And his little dog was named Dusty. We got him as a puppy from a place called Buda, Texas. Believe it or not, a place, place called Buda in the middle of Texas spelled differently. And so Carol really loved that dog. I, I did too, you know, but, but Carol, that dog followed Carol everywhere, you know. And that little dog was so good, learned so many tricks that Carol would take the dog to children's church. And then she would teach a message to the kids about how important it is to respond to God in obedience and how to respond to your mom and dad in obedience. And then she'd whip out little Dusty and when she did that, the kids would, ah! You know, the little dog's here and wanted to pet the dog. And so she put the kids back and she now did a whole set of tricks. All right, she didn't. She had the dog do a whole set of tricks. This dog could roll over. The dog could pray. She would say, birdie, birdie. The dog would know to run to a window and look up in the air. All right. She could say, go to your bed. And that dog would run all over until it found the dog's bed and jumped in it, turned around and then looked back up at you. This dog did so, bu- so many tricks. But I can tell you this. That dog cannot tell me about how the stock market runs. That dog cannot tell me how to launch a new computer program. So that dog did not have certain understanding, but it had other understandings. And I looked at that dog, and even though that dog couldn't always uh, make coffee for me in the morning, all right, I knew that that dog was a good dog, and I loved that dog. Now here's where I'm going with that. Like a dog, in a sense, like part of his creation, God loves you and me. He knows that we've got, we're coming along, we're learning some new stuff but at the same time he knows that he's so far beyond what we'll ever be able to know about him and he wants it that way and he says, I still love you. I still have a plan and a purpose for your life.